Queering Museums is introducing new narratives. Telling un- or undertold stories. Changing our relationship with something. Queering means questioning the things we do and why we do them. Breaking down binaries of all kinds. Queering Museums means removing the concept of default anything. Inclusion is never the end. It is just a stepping stone. Queering Museums is changing how we imagine object history. Challenges to the status quo. Queers inclusivity and diversity of audience. Making museums more welcoming. Queering Museums is a long-term commitment and responsibility to counter dominant narratives. Queer is community. Queer is love. Welcome to Queering Museums, a BCMA gender and sexuality podcast series. This episode is a continuation from our third episode in which we chatted with Carmel Tanaka of JQD Vancouver and Alyssa Rutenberg from the Jewish Museum and Archives of BC about their joint project, the BC Jewish Queer and Trans Oral History Project. In this episode, Alyssa and Carmel chat about the specific challenges that COVID-19 posed to their project and to JQD's process of becoming a nonprofit. But if you missed the first half of this conversation, I highly recommend that you go back and find episode three and give that a listen. And what was really great with the Jewish Museum is at the time, JQD was not yet a nonprofit. We were but a small grassroots uh, group of queer Jews. And so the Jewish Museum was able to use their institutional privilege to apply for grants which I'm very thankful for, from the Jewish Community Foundation and the Waldman Foundation. And during the project, JQD did eventually become a nonprofit. And so in many ways, this project was incubated by the museum in order to help us get some wings to move forward with it. And I'm really excited. People are really excited to see the final product. That's great to hear. What a transformation too being able yeah. to grow in that way. And I don't recommend becoming a nonprofit during a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. At all. That was a gong show. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm just actually curious, like what what kind of barriers the pandemic? I mean, of course, so many. So one of the, it would seem very logical and an easy thing now today, but in the early days of the pandemic, simple things like opening up a bank account was very difficult because before you would have to physically go into the bank, write your signature that would then, and you would have to go along with everyone else who's also signers, but, but because there's multiple people in one space, you couldn't do that. So we were having to find different ways of virtually signing without witnesses and bumping that around to everyone, wherever they were. It was very difficult and processes that would normally have taken maybe a single meeting to coordinate took months. That makes there now sense. are, there are processes and protocols on how to do that in Command City and now yeah. the restrictions lifting, it's easier, but yes, don't recommend that at all. Something that really, I think, shed a lot of light during the pandemic is how inaccessible these processes are to begin with. We found in a lot of our community, especially queer community, we were already on all these virtual platforms. Discord comes to mind as an example. And these were ways that many of our community members were communicating with one another even before the pandemic. 
And all of a sudden, the world started to use uh, technology developed by the disability community for themselves being like, oh, look at this hot thing that we can use. And we're like, well, we've been doing this forever because we can't meet or we it's not safe to take uh, public transportation because we live in a rural area to come to you or we physically can't because we're not able to. So I think the pandemic, Sean, is that a, a, the word, Sean, Sean? I think so. You're wrong. It always it always sounds wrong. Yeah, <laughs> but it's correct. <laughs> <laughs> How do you spell that? <laughs> a light on forms of communication that were either not known about because we had to use it by necessity, starting to become and and being used today by everyone. Mm-hmm. So, I think there needs to be more recognition about that, and realizing that a simple trip of opening up a bank account and going to the, to your local branch is not something that everyone can do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know it's like, it, it, it took this to move things along into a more accessible world. And that's, I don't know, that's pretty tragic, but certainly glad to see some of the accessibility sticking around. I, I hope. We really noticed it with oral histories. I was previously Reluctant doesn't even begin to cover it. We essentially only did interviews that we could conduct in person. We have a pretty nice recorder set up with external microphones. The quality is very good. I am always concerned about long-term preservations, about these uncompressed large-scale formats that are really good for long-term digital preservation. And so during the first probably six months of the pandemic, I just didn't want to do interviews. I figured we would catch up when we were done and that would be it. And it was really this project that we wanted to get rolling. Armel had reached out to all of these people already, so we didn't want to leave them hanging. We also knew that a number of them were in different communities. They weren't locally accessible anyway. So we we had to grapple with using Zoom. And while I still have some problems with it, and I still would prefer we use our you know external microphones and all of that, learning that it's worth it even if the audio is not quite what I would like we are able to interview people who aren't available in Vancouver aren't physically able to come into the offices during the pandemic especially that they have concerns about their immunity and their safety coming in and being in person in a small space with someone so it definitely forced me to think outside the logistical box I think as I said I'm the details person I'm the person like poking holes in something of like well how does that work what are we actually going to do here? And I suddenly had to be doing that to myself <laughs> and also trying to move forward with the project. So I'm thankful that this project happened at this time. I think it is a bit of a silver lining and it worked out really well. Mm-hmm. And something to add to using Zoom is it also provided video, which we were not originally intending to use as part of the project, it being an, an oral history project. Uh, turned into a video oral history project, which was great because it really helps with representation. Mm-hmm. But I did find that I was having to look into the camera, which meant not looking at the questions or the person for their reactions in order for them to feel like I was in the room with them and reacting this way, which is not necessarily everyone's jam as an interviewer. But I, I did find that I had a better rapport if they felt like I was looking straight at them and felt like I was in the room with them. Now, of course, there were a couple of interviews which were 
absolutely fascinating because the mic was not working on the computer. So they had to physically phone in on a telephone while I was having the video there. And it was slightly off in terms of the, the sound syncing. But these are the things that you have to do in order to make something work because they're in the middle of nowhere in the rural BC and there's no way to get to them. But we still wanted to have their stories. Now, in terms of areas that we are still waiting to collect uh, community voices from are northern BC. So that's Prince Rupert, Prince George area, as well as the Okanagan. I mean, we know you're out there <laughs> because there have always been queer Jews. And there were always will be queer Jews everywhere. But yeah, we're very successful in getting the Vancouver Island and Gulf Island area, as well as the mainland, Vancouver and Nelson area, the Kootenays covered. So that sounds like a, a bit of a call out. So people can still participate and, and share their stories? Yes and no. We definitely need more funding in order to uh, keep collecting more stories. I will definitely be available for those who are in the north as well as in the Okanagan in order to round out the project. But we are in our final stages at the moment. And on that note, can you share maybe how folks can keep tabs on your project and kind of view aspects of it and the different phases as it rolls out more? Sure. So you can visit the online exhibits, which currently is in a sneak peek teaser version on JQT's website. So that's jqtvancouver.ca. There's a link on the homepage straight to the oral um, history project. And yeah, our social media, you can follow us. Our social media handles are on Facebook and Instagram at jqtvan. And I would imagine the same also for the museum. Yes. The Jewish Museum is online at jewishmuseum.ca. We are on Facebook and Instagram, although we don't update as regularly as we should. And so we don't know what the future holds, but we will keep updated on our website and our media. Thank you both for sharing also about the the pandemic and how that impacted the pr project. Because I that's something that Tanya and I haven't necessarily specifically been asking folks, but this certainly shows us the ways in which it's kind of shaped different projects and led to new ways of of doing things. So that's really interesting. So I think unless there's anything else you'd like to share, yeah, go ahead. So the BC Jewish Queer and Trans Oral History Project gave rise to a couple more initiatives at JQD, not knowing in advance that this would be the case. One such initiative is the JQD Seniors Initiative. It's a working group of Jewish LGBTQ and senior healthcare organizations, as well as JQD Seniors, whose mission is to lead an awareness campaign addressing senior social isolation, as well as the fear of going back into the closet and or hiding one's religious or cultural identities upon entering long-term care. So that's one. And it also gave rise to Twice Blessed 2.0, the Jewish LGBTQ2SIA plus initiative, which is a community needs assessment to better understand the current needs of the Jewish LGBTQ community, which is based on a 2004 needs assessment that only resurfaced in 2021 during the oral history project interviews to find out that it sat on a desk for nearly two decades. So it's time to update that. We will be having a final report out next month with the findings from this needs assessment. 
And uh, I thought I would leave you with some wise words from my mentor and friend, Dr. Aaron DeVore, who also participated in the Oral History Project. We should all learn from each other with an open heart and open mind. These are things that I've had to learn along the way and that it rarely helps to be defensive and always, almost always, helps to listen, watch, be kind, be generous, learn from other people. There's something to be learned from everybody and something to be learned from every interaction. And that our job, as the rabbis have taught us, is not to try and finish making the world a perfect place, but it is our job to continue to try. Thank you for that. That's a beautiful quote. Thank you for sharing it. And it's available <laughs> on the exhibit. Exactly. <laughs> with the video, with Aaron. <laughs> and for listeners too, Dr. DeVore is the, the chair of the Trans Archives at the University of Victoria. And we just um, recorded another podcast with Amelia Smith, who recently designed a digital ex exhibition for them. So lots of shout outs to the Trans Archives. They're doing great work over there. <laughs> Thank you so much for so many amazing insights and sharing, sharing your journey with this beautiful, beautiful project. So thank you both, Alyssa and Carmel. This was wonderful. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you.